Welcome to episode 110 of the Two on Three podcast, where two of your friends take on three topics in 30 minutes. I'm Ty, and you can find me with a clear understanding of biological science at SEATJK. And with me, as always, is Chris. Where can we find you panic shopping for toilet paper and hand sanitizer, Chris? Man, you can't buy that stuff anywhere. So, you know, at CD Villa Senor, where, you know, I'm a young earther, so... <laughs> Speaking of believing in biological science, so you know if it, if it you know if it ends today, yeah, whatever. You the first person to ever use the share your Amazon order person or a feature on the internet? <laughs> Do you have that? I assume. I mean, doesn't everything have a share button? <laughs> you want to know what I'm buying? No, you I bought this. Buy- I mean, we got some Lysol. I don't know. What are we supposed yeah. to do with it? Uh, wipe it. Four hundred dollar Purell. <laughs> Well, interact with the show on Twitter, only on Twitter, please, and never in person, at 2on3pod, or hit us up via email at holla, holla. at 2on3pod.com. You know how much we love to hear from you. Just don't touch us. <laughs> By the way, that, <laughs> the don't, waste, few weeks. don't waste your money, that Purell. Like, you just use turpentine like my old grandpappy used to. That's how they you used can to make your it. own distilled alcohol. <laughs> you don't need to have to, you don't need hand sanitizer. Well, the past few weeks have progressed to become a nexus of existential crises, so allow us to lean into our obsession, okay, maybe it's just me, and tamp down our slash my burgeoning panic by making some jokes. <laughs> we'll start with Threats to Humanity as we talk a little politics, a little outbreak, and one great big asteroid. We'll lighten the mood a bit as I quiz Chris on how he makes sense of all the questions still banging around my head regarding the rise of Skywalker. And finally, we'll look at whether it's even worth your time to stay well-informed as we hurtle toward our inevitable demise. Beyond the buzzer, we'll pause for Dejawa before heading to the OT for some odds and ends and callbacks, as we do. Well, Chris, before we chop it up, our listeners know that we're coming to you, well, them, rather, from the greater Seattle area, which means we're living in the middle of the famed Richard Preston novel Hot Zone, but it's my understanding that you escaped, at least for a while. I did. I, I had a chance to uh, play some golf in uh, abandoned dunes over the weekend. So four days of golf, actually one day at Eugene Country Club, and then three days at Bandon. And Bandon, by the way, is the perfect place to like dodge the zombie apocalypse. It's like in the middle of nowhere. They seem to have some things there, and you can just play golf while the whole rest of the world just burns down, which would not be a bad. Which I may have mentioned to the people I was playing with, <laughs> but the uh, but the the thing I wanted to mention about this golf trip is that I'm going to say very clearly, I love playing golf, but I hate hiking. (laughs) (laughs) So, so when it comes right down to it, 18,000 steps a day to play any of those courses. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you're playing well, it's 18,000. If you're not playing well, you're looking at North of 20 K and it's up and it's down. And I'm just basically right now, I should probably be in the hospital. But it's, I'm just, it was all I could do to, you know how there's, there's that story that Tiger Woods needs like two and a half hours to get loose to play a round of golf? Mm-hmm. Like, there's this like, there's this run up to his golf round where he has to, I don't know, take a hot shower and then take drugs and then be worked <laughs> on by a team of professionals before he can even swing a golf club. I swear to God, I felt like that on the third day on, on, on Monday. So I played Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I was like, if I don't start warming up two hours before this whole thing i'm not gonna be i couldn't be just hobbling sure out out to the range only to just like lie down and try to like get loose and do everything i could and it was brutal and then i sh- and i played actually pretty well and then i was completely useless and then i had to do the same thing on tuesday except we had a really early tea time on tuesday like a eight like a seven forty-five tea time a.m are you expecting sympathy? No. I'm just, <laughs> what I'm telling you is I'm old and shitty and and I get it. And then, what's even worse, then I played and then, of course, I rode in a car like seven and a half hours after playing a round of golf after four days. I When I went to get out of the car when it got to my house, mm-hmm. well, first of all, I when I got out of my car to get out of the car to get to dinner on our way home, I almost like, I, I must can't, I don't, I don't know, I might need help. <laughs> I might need a walker. I can't get out. I it was so bad, and uh, so you know, I don't know. I think I took an irresponsible amount of like Tylenol at this point. So you know, whatever, whatever happens, Tylenol doesn't point, do happens. anything. Sure, it does. <laughs> reduces fever, I guess. It's it's an analgesic. It will help you. Um, 
I don't know. This is probably something for another time, but my MD, <laughs> PH, my MD PhD, who's my orthopedist, says do not ever take an NSAID. It's terrible for you. Really? Uh-huh. He's very, it works. He's, <laughs> it, it says it works, but it's, he's seriously anti. So that's yeah. for another time. But yeah. like I said, love golf, hate hiking, but love Bandon, hate Bandon. It was well, great. I'm, I'm jealous. It was good you might still get your chance to go to the hospital. So why don't we start <laughs> with segment one? In segment one, it's Threats to Humanity. And we're going to talk first about politics. Because I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty disappointed in the outcome Dis- of uh, Tuesday's election. Disappointed in what? In what way? It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty disappointing to have like fundamentally the same choices as four years ago. Only worse in all respects. <laughs> Totally. I mean, Bernie's older, Biden's mm-hmm. a bit of a mess, but fundamentally he's talking about running on the same... Actually, this is a good question. What is a Joe Biden policy? Can you tell me one? <laughs> I think they told me what some were, but I didn't believe them. I don't think he knows what they are. <laughs> so my question is, if Hillary was rejected for being four more years of Obama, I mean, among other things, but right. theoretically, right? Yeah, not including the misogyny and the you know the the twenty year campaign of hatred in the, in the news media. <laughs> sure, but what in the world should we expect from Biden from a policy perspective? It doesn't seem like it's going to be meaningfully different. No, how could it be? Yeah, I so, made no um, secret of my support for Elizabeth Warren. I thought that she. I think the thing that's frustrating to me about it is having watched all you know, like we talked about before all the, all the debates. It was so crystal clear to me, at least that. That's the person on the stage that should be in charge of all of the other people. Yes. Now, she's, she's again, she's terrific. But you know what? Here's the thing about Biden. Biden is an empty vessel for the power broker left leftists, right? Yes. They, they can pretty much say, hey, Joe, will you just do what we tell you? And he'd probably say, yeah, I'll just do what you tell me. <laughs> well, you've skipped ahead to my conspiracy theory. <laughs> but it's, it's so painfully obvious to me that that's kind of what's happening. It's like Bernie's too crazy. He's an ideologue. He, know, he wants what he wants, and he can't be, you can't say nothing to Bernie, right? And then Perhaps. Warren's probably <laughs> similarly, yes. you know, similarly that way. Um, the the other also rans are just sort of they were around because it made for nice TV like Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar they're fine people whatever they're not getting there and then Mike who was the most entertaining of the whole thing just like Jesus just just I'm gonna light six hundred fifty million dollars of money on fire for no reason and yeah. uh, and then and now we're down to you're absolutely right you're you're back to we're back to 2016 and it's and but a worse version of it. Yeah. It's really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's wild because, because everything has been so messed up. Like no one can keep, no one, uh, Biden can't get through 10 minutes without gaffing something horrible. And then, uh, and then, you know, of course, everything's sort of just been a mess, like in terms yeah. of the process and everything. It's just, it's wild. I watched a video tonight of Biden from 2013 and, it really throws into stark relief the changes that he's experienced. Uh, it's just, he's he's still the same sort of, his delivery's a little weird, right? Like, he's just kind of like, he's trying to tell you a secret all the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's, at least he, like, he's he's rational, he makes sense, his, his thoughts are cogent and well put together. Um, but revisiting Liz Warren's failures, just because I need to do a quick postmortem for my own self-wellness, mm-hmm. I guess, self-sanity. I think a couple of things that were problematic for her is that it was a bit of a clumsy campaign and she never properly sort of branded what her version of what Bernie was trying to do, which I thought was more of a, what I'll call patriotic capitalism, right? She was very clear. I'm a capitalist. She's not a socialist. It's kind of this stark contrast she tried to draw, but also having progressive policies. And I think that's the thing that I'm, you know, I'm always about incentives, right? How can we incentivize people to behave in a way that is good for society? And I think putting in, I had this crackpot idea about, where we don't vote for politicians, but rather we vote for public policy, and the public policy is actually enacted by corporations who are applying for basically taxes, taxes, and and and, uh, and grants from the government. Like this, like basically all business loans come from the government, and but you have to like you have to run a campaign for it. You're basically yeah okay. I see what you're saying. You're you're yeah. you're you're cutting off the middleman. Yeah, you. I need the government to to start a business. I need a loan from the government because I don't have any money. 
but I, I I can get that money instead of going to the bank. I can run a campaign and people can and it's basically like GoFundMe, but like putting the government in the middle of it. <laughs> You're like, yeah, is, I want that to happen, so I vote for that. That is wonderfully crackpot, by the way. <laughs> well, and the other thing I think that you know I think of myself, my own struggles with why I felt like Elizabeth Warren was a flawed candidate, and the Pocahontas thing, right, was such a just such a critical identity politics trigger for so many people. Not for me personally, because I, I can rationalize it by saying, you know what? In the past, everyone believed their family's oral history. And if you had a mom or a grandma that told some lunatic story about your family, that may well become the truth that you know or that you grow that you grew up with. Yeah, your ancestors and, came over on the Mayflower. Yeah, and you know, maybe <laughs> I, maybe it's the maybe it's the white collar people, the donors are not white collar, but the, the, just the the one percent, the ten percent, whatever it is, that keep great personal records, right? Because family history is so much more important when you're rich. If you're poor. It's not like you're keeping a lot of great photo albums around, <laughs> right? There's not like some giant leather bound tome with your uh, with your family lineage scrawled in it. Yeah, but I like to think that maybe this Biden thing is really the the DNC going back to the smoky room system by if you put Joe in and then you basically get to pick his vice president with him, that's going to be the president sooner than later, right? Yeah, like he well, he's not going to make it through. I don't think he can make it through a four year term. I don't. I just don't think it's possible. She 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 messed up in that she ran in Bernie's lane thinking that Biden would come out hotter, right? Right. And then and then she would sort of elbow out Bernie in that progressive lane. And then but what it the opposite happened. So Biden came out weak. She had no one to knock around because his opening was so weak. And then Bernie out Bernie her because she's running in his lane. So she just gets squeezed out here at the now when Biden comes on strong through this Super Tuesday, she just gets squeezed out. And she just, I mean, it's just, it was a, it was a tactical error. She, she gambled and lost. And yeah. uh, that's just politics. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it goes beyond that, right? She didn't do outreach until in, into states that she didn't have any connection or identity with until way too late in the, in the race as well. But moving on to other depressing news. Uh, we are, like I said, in the middle of the hot zone. Um, so, we are. I how just, the hell did how the hell did we become coronavirus central? I don't know, man. Gateway to the eight? gateway to the Pacific. I mean, it's just yeah. like this. I think it's so. been here for a lot longer than we realize. Um, you know, somebody I know got really sick in January, and we're like, "Man, I've never had a flu like that." And it's like, "Hey, you know what? Not unreasonable to think that perhaps that's what you had." Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, they announced today that our school district is closed for at least two weeks. Oh, really? They're closing we're, the whole district? Uh huh. We're going to remote learning. Wow. Mm-hmm. That might that actually might stick. <laughs> a lot of people might just say, you know what? <laughs> we'll just keep the kids home. I meant to look this up before we got on the what was the Bruce Willis movie where you like it was basically Avatar, except you were your avatar was just you. Do you remember that movie? The Bruce Willis there's a Bruce Willis movie? Yeah, where he the, the whole society is like uh I can't remember if the reason is because of a pandemic, but basically you don't send your actual human body out to interact in public. It's a uh, an avatar of you. Huh. I don't recall that movie. All right. Well, Whatever. that's not helpful to me. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I, my so point is I can't get, we can't get there soon enough as far as I'm concerned. Surrogates is the name oh, of the movie. Okay. We have, uh, we, my, my daughter's high school is closed. And that actually made the national news because they had uh, the first, I think, confirmed student. Mm. Um, cool. Uh, that had the... Uh, that had the COVID-19. Can we, can we settle on this branding? I just think I call it the Corona. Oh, it's, it's different. It's not that it's, it's not that it's uh, a branding problem. It's they're different things. I know the coronavirus is a general, it's a general term for this type of virus. Right. Because of the way it's shaped. Correct. Right. But it has, a, it shares a family with SARS and MERS. Yes. And but of course flu. it's much more, it's much more fun to call it the coronavirus than the COVID-19. I mean, so well, COVID-19 is the, the disease you get. Right. It's that's the actual it's the manifestation. Strain. Yes. That's the strain. But I don't want to talk about the strain. I want to talk about it. I'm just, you know. Well, I did I'm see that now that there's two separate strains general. that have been identified, and one's more mm. aggressive than the other. Great. And you can actually have both at the same time. God, could you imagine? <laughs> so I'm actually experiencing an existential crisis just on making it like through another day. Like yeah. I felt a little funny um, by the end of the day on Tuesday. And then today I feel fine. And then I felt this weird sense of relief because it was sunny outside. And it's like, but that's absurd. The kids <laughs> didn't, nothing, I didn't accomplish anything. It's going to be like this for weeks. Man, I ride the bus. How about you that? You should stop doing that. 
No, because no one's on the bus. I was like, <laughs> this. Yeah. so the bus is mostly em- shit down. The mo- bus is mostly empty, and uh, and downtown downtown Bellevue is mostly empty. And I think our I think our company said, you know, work from home if you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, I mean, it's 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 a really weird time. It's just everything is just odd. Like if, yes. if you own a business, if you own a restaurant, if you own like just just. I don't know what you need to do. <laughs> just save your money. I don't know, turn out the lights. Go to. I don't know what I would do if I owned a restaurant right now because no one's going out. It's like I don't even know what you'd do. I guess you'd better you better sign up for um, DoorDash or something so that these people can get your food. I, I well, at what point is it? What's worse, like getting food service in a restaurant or having some unknown person and how many people touch it in between you getting it? It's it's that way anyway. But I mean, I would say that it was I mean, if it's hot food and it's covered and yeah. then delivered to you, I'd, I'd feel pretty good about that. I'd take my chances. Well, that's interesting because the other problem I'm having with it is this state of constant suspicion, like no trust in others at all. Like I was at a bar over the weekend and I didn't witness in the restroom what I would call appropriate hygiene <laughs> like for normal circumstances. It's like, so nothing will get, jet, will get men to wash their hands properly in the restroom. I mean, to be honest, I don't know if my penis has the uh, has the coronavirus. So, well, it's not about you; it's about everybody else. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like what I would call a germaphobe, but I'm pretty much anti-social contact you're for the close, most part. You're, but you're teetering now. I could well, tell. Well, no, I, I'm not, I just I tend to avoid unnecessary contact with public services, it, which is what germaphobes do. <laughs> but just at all times. I mean, why would you put yourself at risk? Why would I touch that? I don't need to touch that. Why would I touch it? <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, you just talked about golf, and I, I feel like I'm very, very privileged to work full time from home and have my primary leisure activity be golf. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can right. kind of continue to live, which I'm very again spoiled. So, which I yeah. means, by the way, that I assume I will assuredly get the virus. So here's the deal. So I was uh, part of some of the members that I went to uh, Bannon with were members of the first tee. And we were talking about spring sessions and how we're not, we can't, we should not do high fives anymore. We have to figure out sort of a non-contact way to be supportive and kick feet. encouraging. We could kick feet. I know the kid can play feet. kick feet. Yeah, no, kick feet. that's no good. I, no, I was good. thinking like I was thinking like fist bumps, but you don't touch like an air no. fist bump. Like you so just kind of like oh, like demolition a, man. Mm-mm. We're gonna put our hands up next to each other and then rave them around in a circle. No, just just kind of a fist bump, but we we do it from a little farther away. Like we just like you know whatever. I'm pro kick feet. Like let's tap insoles. Yeah, I don't know. It's still a little why? much. It's a little why? much for me. I don't know. It's a like why you're gonna fall down like no. Oprah. I uh, maybe. <laughs> no, but it's just like you know. At least people know to fist bump. It's just like you just kind of keep it far away. It's like yeah, keep it far. It's like, good job. I'm putting my foot out. You'll figure it out. No, I'm not gonna kick your foot. Well, I'm not doing. Then that. Don't touch me at all. the last thing i was going to talk about before we moved on was just that i thought just to complete the existential trifecta um that there is a an asteroid that's going to come within about nine million miles of the earth here at the end of next month that's not close actually it's something (laughs) like four million miles is that what it is yeah but here's the thing the moon's about like two hundred and forty thousand miles away and this thing's like 400 this like thing four million miles away so it's far it is I mean, two and a it, half million, or sorry, two and a half miles across, though. I know. Oh, if it hit us, it would be over. But the, <laughs> uh, but, but fortunately for us, space is a really big place. And even though this is pretty close to us by space terms, it's not really very close to us. Yes, it's going to miss us by sixteen times the distance from the Earth to the Moon. Which sort of, uh, which sort of reminded me of that big, you know, the big scar on the the big crater scar on the Moon. Yeah, you we talked the, about this recently. Yeah, last last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, can you imagine the rock that smashed into the moon that made that thing? Exactly. That, that, that thing's probably an Earth killer. Well, sure. speaking of Earth killer, let's go to segment two. All right, in segment two, um, I've been thinking about Star Wars lately because I'm always okay. kind of thinking about Star Wars. I always think about Star Wars. Everywhere. I really do, like a lot. <laughs> and, and I just. I know, it's unnatural. It's <laughs> more than I should, that's for sure. I'm telling uh, you, not a day has gone by since I was maybe seven years old that I haven't thought about Star Wars, literally. At least for a moment, right? Yeah, at least for a moment. So I still had some what I would call outstanding questions for you from the last movie. Okay. Um, and I just, I guess, 
I don't know what I want from you here. I'm going to present these questions to you. I'm going to allow you to respond. I would like, I guess, your unvarnished opinions on what you think is the explanation. Okay. Because obviously we know that these aren't like connected threads. So I'm curious how you've squared it in your mind, and then I'll maybe share some of my thoughts with you. So what happened in the cave in The Last Jedi? <laughs> in The Last Jedi, Rey goes into a cave on Octo. Uh-huh. Um, Luke warns her about the cave. Sure. Uh, the cave looks like an evil butthole. Sure. Um, she goes in there and she sees mirrors that are supposed to, I don't know, show her the truth. It's kind of a callback to Luke's visit to the cave on Dagobah where he encounters his vision of himself yeah. in the Vader uh-huh. mask. What happened in the cave? That's it. That's the thing. It's that interpretation. It's, it's there. It's Ryan Johnson's interpretation of the cave that you go in there and you face the dark side in some weird way way shape or form which then jj comes back in rise of skywalker and gives us a real cave you know what i mean mm-hmm. so so that that was that was that was that i think you got it right it's just it is just weird so i i agree because i think that if we had gotten the dark ray in the cave that would have made more sense right but i think it was the whole thing where he was ryan johnson was maybe trying to disconnect the ray lore from the skywalker line i, I don't yeah. know it's yeah, he did. He, he was doing something different there, but it was the same concept. It's like you go there to you go there to face your fears. You go there to face your your deepest, darkest fear. And her fear is she didn't know who she was. Right. That was her biggest right. fear. Right. So it's sort of I think it's the interpretation of that. The giant okay. butthole. <laughs> it totally looks like that. It's more of a goatsy situation. <laughs> though. <laughs> All right. Next. Um, where did Maz Kanata get Luke's lightsaber? No one knows. Because she like, just hand waves it at the time. No, she's she like, totally no, I'll tell you later. Like, Don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, it's at the bottom of Bespin, right? Like maybe like some some Ugnots down there cleaning, doing the cleaning. The like, yeah. like some some cleaning crew of Ugnots is down there. They sweeping up, and there's a hand and a lightsaber. I don't know. It's just like, ooh, this is weird. Let's turn this into the. Uh, let's turn this in to. Lock well, they didn't found. melt it down, and that was clearly the move. Everything right. else is getting melted down in a hot second. <laughs> Like, like these yeah. droids just got here. Oh, we got to melt these shits down. <laughs> Let's just, yeah. Some some cleaning crew found it on Bespin and then just turned it into Lost and Found and then it just made its way to her. Okay. And the force right. and plot. How do you feel or what, what do you think about the, maybe the dumbest part of the movie is the Sith Wayfinder. Um, I can't get over it now. So, <laughs> like, it's so dumb. There's no explanation for where Kylo Ren finds his why the thing exists at all, how it's been hidden for this long, where they came from, why there's only two and who made them and when. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this, this is a, that's a, that's completely about plot. And you know, what's funny is the, um, the, the original, that original, that opening scene in rise of Skywalker, they're actually sieging, um, Darth Vader's old castle on Mustafar. The, okay. Yeah. That's where that's where he gets his. You know, okay. Vader had one. But how did he, he find out about it? I don't know. Sith okay. lore. Written down some, somewhere. <laughs> there was some we Sith didn't, lore. We didn't get to see. That that like people whispered to each other. It only exists in the whispers. Okay. But but yes, it had to yes, we had to find the the uh you know, headpiece of the staff of Ra, right? It has to Sure. It we have to start an adventure somehow, and this is how this is how they decided to do it. But yes, it, it, it makes no it makes no sense that I mean, wouldn't a Sith just like use the force to guide them there? That would have been interesting. Really and then it, and then and then to find it, Ray would have had to tap maybe a little bit of the dark side of the force to like find it, which she could have because she's a Palpatine. Wouldn't that right. have been more interesting than having to go look for this pyramid that you pull, then 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 you, they created some sort of navigational interface for it when you just stick some wires on it and it brings you to it brings you to exegol anyway right. yeah, what were you me. plugging it into i don't know it just it, <laughs> usb <laughs> it plugs in it's like oh shit i never i don't have the right connector for the devices i have let alone like the right connector for the for this the the sith wayfinder okay well the reason i brought this up today was there was a news story that hit about the Rise of Skywalker novelization, and there's a revelation in it that Ray is, that, or sorry, that rather that Ray's father is a failed clone of Palpatine. Did you happen to see this today? Oh God! Don't stop. 
Stop. So, Jesus, help me. Stop. <laughs> no, I don't, so wanna, I don't even want Don't start with me on this. Imperfect transfer of his consciousness. Oh, Lord. That, uh... That no, is her father. That you is her father. This? That's her dad. I guess. Oh. So I'm going to read this to you. <laughs> the heretics of the Sith Eternal toiled, splicing genes, bolstering tissue, creating unnatural abominations in the hope that one of these standcasts would succeed and become a worthy receptacle. The heretics would do anything, risk anything, sacrifice anything to create a cradle for their god consciousness. Nothing worked, but their efforts were not entirely in vain. One genetic stand- strand cast lived, thrived even. A not quite identical clone, his son. But he was a useless, powerless failure. Palpatine could not even bear to look upon such disappointing ordinariness. The boy's only worth lay would lay in continuing the bloodline through more natural methods. Oh, Jesus. Who <laughs> That's just the ridiculous. Like it'd be better you know, Palpatine has a kid, right? He's just a guy. Right, I guarantee. He I was, mean, I, yeah. I, I, we he, talked about this. I love the idea of, of the Palpatines <laughs> back on Naboo. <laughs> yeah, I. It's, oh God, I don't. It's know. way funnier to me. It's way better to me if he's just this like hectoring family, and he, that's why he's so thrown into his job. He's like, oh man, I got to take over the Empire to get away from this wife. <laughs> right. It's just that's just unnecessary. Why would you even? Why would even? Why would anyone even think about that? So bridge the gap for me. Then, how does Palpatine get from? whatever we'll say he didn't die on the death star but how does he get from the death star to exegol um in your head what happens in my head what happens is there's some sort of uh, you know it's the force right it's there's okay. there, there's some sort of there's some you're willing sort to take it that far it's just it's the force shunting your shunting your force ghost like you know right so we have force ghosts right mm-hmm. so if if force ghosts exist, that means your consciousness exists in some sort of whole form. And so the Sith figured out how to take a Sith force ghost and jam it back into some sort of living vessel. Okay. And they've been, tr- and they've been trying to do that with, and I get it. They've been trying to, Palpatine's been trying to figure this out for a good long while. And they kind of, it kind of worked. No, oh, well, he sort of tricks. That's how he tricks Anakin. First yeah. of all. And that's, yeah. and then that's how he gets. And then now he's that, that, that puppet on a, <laughs> on a, on a, erector set now but because that's the best they could do and you know so basically they shunt his force ghost into that back, living back thing. into his old withered body <laughs> yeah into a copy of his old withered body like i said this is the best they could do and that's how that's the only way i could figure it okay all right um all right uh i was gonna shift gears a little bit uh i talked when we reviewed the movie about how i felt like the general huck's turn was pretty unearned um sure in your mind, how long was he working undercover? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you have to figure out how long the resistance has been dodging around living on that jungle planet, right? I figure yes. right after right after Hux gets screwed over in after they lose on the salt planet. Crate. Like yeah. What is it what's the name of it? Crate. Crate. Yeah. yeah. Like after that he's like, This is fucking bullshit. I do not want to work for for Kylo anymore. I'm going to make sure he goes down and down hard. And so he starts, he starts leaking at that point to try to try to, you know, put Kylo into some sort of corner and then have him offed. So the interesting thing about that is that when I was thinking about this, that's where I felt as well. And maybe that explains why the reinforcements do show up at the end of the third movie, but just didn't at the end of the second (laughs) with no, no, no fundamental changes in the situation unless somehow they were in on the Hux turn in advance and somehow they knew there was an inside. There's a lot that has to happen for some reason, all of those people to show up. In the I don't know. I, I think they're, they're just making shit up as they go along. I have no, no I have this no is the faith. point of the exercise for you to try to explain. <laughs> if you just no get to say, I don't know. This sucks. No, no, that's no. not fun. I know I have. Well, what I'm saying is what I'm saying is there's no possible way. The writers had thought of thought this through. No. Like, no, no possible way. But what do I think? I think after they screw up there, he's like, this is dumb. I cannot do this anymore. I've been, I've spent my whole life as a military man, mm-hmm. like dealing, like dealing with the bullshit that you have to deal with to be a military man in the empire, which I have no idea, but suck hard. 
to like try to scratch and claw your way up to being general hux and a young guy you know he's a young guy he's obviously worked his ass off to get to the top of the heap well we talked about this too i I informed you about reading from backstories about you know he's the son of a a high-ranking general that was a loyalist to palpatine yeah and then and then this and then kylo ren shows up and he can do like force tricks and all of a sudden he's he's equal it's just horseshit he hates it 24 7 and he was a bad guy or like his in in relation from a certain point of view yeah (laughs) (laughs) like he if hux thought he was the good guy right like i mean you know the nazis thought they were the victims right yeah (laughs) oh he's the good guy right so then from his perspective kylo ren is you know coming from the other side yeah well it's a long history unearned spots yes there's a long history of of imperial officers who absolutely hate vader for the fact that it's like what did you do Right. right. Even the first dude he kills in, in, in episode four, it's like, you know, he's all clowning Vader and Vader just kills him. And all, and all the, all those officers look at each other like, God damn it. Yeah. What a terrible work environment. God, this sucks. All right. I have two more quick questions for you. All right. Uh, is Ray Neo, Star Wars Neo? Oh, no. Anakin is Star Wars Neo. But Ray is the first person that ever brings someone back to life successfully. Oh, I guess that's true, but then again, maybe maybe Anakin is you know space Jesus. I guess he's he's an immaculate conception, right? Gone wrong. And maybe is she Neo the one? Yes. Perhaps. Like, isn't she the first balance in the Force theoretically? Maybe they gave her they gave her new fun powers. Yes. Yeah, and then yeah, I don't know. All right. Yes, I I think I I think I think you see where you're coming from on this. Okay, last one. Um. So the first trilogy was, I mean, so clearly to me, now that I've seen all of these movies and had a chance uh-huh. to think about them and digest them all, George was really fascinated with the politics of what it t- would take to, to have someone in the highest, most powerful light side order become an evil. Like, I know this was like later on that he came up with this, but my point is that the movies are fundamentally political. At least the first, mm-hmm. the first three, they cut a lot of it out, but it's there, right? The, the undercurrent, all the... The rebellion stuff, the, the 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 collapse of the Senate, it's all it's all right there under the surface, and it's just sort of not as important to you to understand that movie as it obviously takes over the, the middle three movies to the point yes. of like absurdity. Yeah. Um, but in the last three, we get almost none of it at all, and it makes actually the last three movies really hard to make sense of because now I expect to understand what the like character motivations are, and having no explanation for how we went from um, Republic. Or sorry, sorry, from rebellion to republic to resistance, like that Leia felt the need to abandon the government to go start her own separate military yeah. force. That that's the first thing I said when I saw Force Awakens. I was like, well, didn't we win? Right. Like, isn't that the whole point of? Isn't that the whole point of Episode Four, Five, and Six? Don't we win? So I think that I think that when we get into the Force Awakens, I'm confused already. Like the whole okay. thing doesn't make sense because the first thing they do at Starkiller Base is they nuke the they nuke the Republic. Uh-huh. Then what's the resistance? Who are they resisting if the Republic is already right? Yeah, I mean they should be they should be you know they should be the Republic, right? They should be the Republic fleet. The fact that they're the resistance makes no sense at all. It's like, it should be this, uh, here I go, here I go. <laughs> it's like, it should be the Republic chasing down the last of the, the last of the Imperial fleets that are sort of scattered throughout. Mm-hmm. And then the First Order, like, they, they sort of sneak off and figure out how to build this Starkiller base. I don't know how, they just do. Right. In less than 30 years also. Sure. Yeah. And in, in, it's, it's Star Wars. They, they figured it out. And then, and then, of course, they enact revenge and then after the Republic's just blown to shit, then what's left of the Republic fleet has to like battle. Then, then they're on even ground, right? It's like now we've lost our entire, we've lost, we've lost our home planets. We've lost our government. We've lost pretty much our, our civilization's been wiped out. And now what's left of the Republic fleet has to face off against what's left of the old Imperial fleet. And that would have made sense. You wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to go any farther than that. You wouldn't have had to explain this whole resistance thing or whatever. You know, she could have said instead of a resistance, it's like, are you are you with the Republic? And he, and then you know, right. Finn could have said, yes, I'm with the Republic. 
I mean, this resist the resistance doesn't make any sense. Unless the First Order is now the preeminent force in the galaxy. But they which, shouldn't be. But it's the whole thing is backwards. It's, it should be it should be flipped the other way. Well, what needed to happen was a hundred years, two hundred years needed to go by, but that right. <laughs> didn't really no. work for what we were trying to accomplish. No, but it would be, but it would make much more sense to say that here we are, the general, general, the general, you know, general Organa Solo is out here, you know, supervising the mop up of the last of the the last of the Imperial fleets that are sort of dodging around out here in the outer rim, no, un, mm. unknowing, unknowingly that they've organized themselves enough to build a star killer base. Well, and then and the whole and then whatever happens at the end of at the end of Rise of Skywalker with the fleet of all planet killing destroyers is just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. As is the the everyone showing up. <laughs> right. It's not like it wasn't cathartic. It was frustrating. All right, well thanks for letting me get upset about something else. All right. I love it. <laughs> all right. Segment number 3. In segment three, I read an article that I thought tied. So this is kind of a existential shit sandwich that I put together for us tonight. <laughs> so we had that fun thing in the middle. And now sure. I want to go back to the depressing stuff. <laughs> it's sort of like a sorbet. It's sort of yeah. like a amuse-bouche. <laughs> yes. Um, so I read this article and it's called, Most of What You're Going to Read Today is Pointless. <laughs> but, well, much of the life that I led today is was pointless, but okay. I'm with you. All right. Well, don't just undercut the themes right before we get started. <laughs> But I know that over the last few years, I've become particularly attached to my news device. And, you know, that's at least as part of it. Um, there's some central themes in this article that I kind of disagree with at the end that we'll get to. But I wanted to come kind of review some of the things that are discussed. And some of that I think is going to sound really obvious if you've spent any time thinking about this. And yet, I just wanted to kind of touch on some of the statistics that are cited in here. So, okay. Um, the existential part comes into play right off the bat where it's like we're surrounded by so much information that is of immediate interest that we feel overwhelmed by the never-ending pressure of trying to keep up with it all, right? This idea of like prestige TV is homework even, mm-hmm. right? There's too many shows, right? That right. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so the speed of news delivery has increased into the point where if you're waiting more than even a few seconds now for updates on a story, it feels interminable. That's really bad for like humanity's brains. Yeah. Um, and some people write 10 or more blog posts a day, right? For newspapers or even any outlet, really. So if you think about how hard it is to write any sort of thoughtful piece, like if I could turn out one a day and I want, I'd have a hard time doing that. If you wrote 10, this works out to like 2,400 articles a year. (laughs) (laughs) So the fluency of the person you're getting your news from in the subject is basically near zero. Yeah, nothing's nothing's like deeply researched. It's not like those old, uh, like newspaper, you know how those newspaper movies in, of old, like you, sure. where you have this sweaty newsroom with people making phone calls and driving out to talk to people and doing all this stuff just to make sure that they make the the Sunday paper, like with their with their expose <laughs> of whatever they're doing. It takes months and months for them to gather all this information only to get it in the paper to, you know, unseat, you know, corrupt mayors and those kind of things. The fast news cycle sucks now. Like, it feels like time is passing extraordinarily fast um, and nothing sticks for more than even. I mean, it used to be 24 to 48 hours now. I mean, it's honestly like if there was a big story in the morning, it's over by the end of the day. And not to not to bring it necessarily back to politics, but this is a bit of a scary tactic from, you know, the, the, the Trump side of the, the media, this idea that if we just flood the zone with garbage constantly, if you, if I force you basically to question everything you ever come in contact with, eventually you'll just stop questioning anything. Well, I mean, this is the, the underlying issue here is that news went from becoming what was essentially a public service to a business. Mm-hmm. And that's where it comes. I mean, you know, that, you know, draw the line down the middle and then pick a side and the other side's doing the exact same thing. It's, it's this, this whole thing where news has to make money. And so if news has to make money and be free and be free, Mm -hmm. then what you have to do is you have to be splashy. You have to capture people's attentions. You have to, you have to take things that, 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 that have hooks in them and drive them hard and make sure that, that, you know, again, this this the coronavirus thing might be 
something similar in that, you know, it's, it's very, you know, it's obviously serious and people get sick and die. And, um, but is it any worse than, you know, it's, it's the flu, but no, it's really the coronavirus, which is much more insidious or at least, you know, it's hard to figure out where the science is, even if you're trying to read the scientific, (laughs) the scientific articles, because the newspapers who are publishing it take the science and take the facts and then, and then ramp them up to make you think, oh my gosh, I better read tomorrow's coverage of of the the coronavirus because they're, 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 they're just amping everything up to get a kick out of you. And then what happens, right? Just like any adrenaline rush, the more you do it, the, the less it takes, right? You get, you build up this resistance and you end up needing more of a high. (laughs) You need, you need twice the amount of news to make you high to get it, to get it going again. Yeah. So that's, there's a quote in here that I wanted to read to you. Um, what information consumes is rather obvious. It consumes the attention of its recipients Hence, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention and a need to allocate that attention efficiently among the overabundance of information sources that might consume it. But, and that's a long way of saying that if there's news constantly, you can never shut it off. Like you have to constantly pay attention to it, but you don't. You get tricked into it by thinking that you must stay informed. And I think that is particularly challenging right now because I can, this coronavirus thing specifically kind of brought into stark relief for me because I couldn't for days articulate like what was happening, how bad it was, what, how it was, you know, what, how it was contagious in what ways, how it was traveling, you know, in the, in that the first time I could ever remember having so much information so quickly and still never actually any, anything accurate or useful. Yeah. But here's, so the way the, the human brain kind of works, it's, you know, it's always cheating, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't, it can only do so much. And so it cheats. It fills in things for you. It assumes things. Like there are things that you see on a daily basis that you may not really see. <laughs> that your brain might just be making illusions because there's, there's all kinds of fun articles and fun science around your brain. Because it's amazing. And it does these shortcut things, right? It's, right? it's the reason you can't, be, you can't truly be friends with a large amount of people. Right? You have to... It, it's, it's too much. So I can barely be friends with a small amount. Of <laughs> you can barely be friends with me. But the uh, but what uh, what happens is you start grouping people together, right? These are my work friends. They're right. all one person. These are right. my. This is my family. This is my group. And so your brain sort of groups those things, right? Well, and it has more to do with you too, right? And the whatever code switching you might do in those different groups. And so it's right. less about them and more about who you are when you're with those people. Because you can't manage. 100 you can't manage 200 individual relationships correct right so you put on whatever mask suits the situation but you can but you can you can you can lump your relationships into five big groups and treat those five big groups the same yeah see what i'm saying yeah so the same thing as happens with the news like you just you start grouping these together and this is where your confirmation your confirmation bias kicks in right Mm -hmm. because it's you you always say oh god it's just confirmation bias bias you don't really you don't really you don't really read anything other than what you agree with. Well, I read a lot, but the only thing that sticks because there's so much and your brain just gloms on to like, Oh, I agree with that idea. I agree with that idea. I disagree with that idea. And so you just throw it out because your brain right. can't handle it. So now you're just collecting these like, so even if you're not consciously creating an echo chamber for yourself, your brain can't help but do that. Your brain, your brain, can only survive if it if it grabs things that that it can it can process and the things that it can process are mostly the things you agree with so that's why we get into these things where you talk to somebody and say well how can you think that because well i read a lot it's like but the only thing that sticks are the things i agree with well and that was kind of one of the points of the article this idea that what you're reading isn't even like well-researched opinions and you're you're reading for information which is basically so you can feel that you have some grasp of an issue and can have an opinion on it when the subject arises so there's a point here in the article where the uh, the author talks about the fact that um well first i want to read these these couple of quotes that i think are, are, are great because uh it's not uh, the most reach you re- read online today is pointless it's not important to your life it's not going to help you make better decisions it's not going to help you understand the world it's not going to help you develop deep and meaningful connections with the people around you the only thing it's really doing is altering your mood and perhaps your behavior and then there's a quote here that says to be completely cured of newspapers spend a year reading the previous week's newspapers so if you're always a week behind you'll realize how quickly it expires yeah. and so this person says well i'm going to stop um 
consuming news, like as a challenge. And they say, at first I found it really difficult and their friends would start talking about something topical and getting emotionally charged and upset and then ask the author what they thought. And the author would be like, I don't know. And then they're just being, it's incredulous. What? How do you not know about this? And then they'd be like, you have to read this. And they took out their phones to send a link to the article or whatever that, of course, the author would never read. And the author makes an, an, an observation that it was pretty hilarious that they often expected the conversation to stop so that he could read the article and then get in on the outrage. <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And it was like, he almost got ostracized from the, not ostracized, but just sort of, well, we can't talk to you then because you, you can't be mad with us. Well, that's, and that's, that's a societal thing, right? This is, it's has become the, this has become the, this has become the way people interact now. It's like, how do you feel about this? I don't know. I don't feel about that at all. And then, of course, it's like, if I can't share, if we can't be outraged together, then I can't hang out with you, which right. is just kind of a ridiculous way to live your life. I mean, there's certain things that should bother you in the world. I mean, if you have values, right? You, I mean, I don't care what your values are, but, you know, this, this comes back to my, this comes back to the, you know, my local government thing. It's like, you can have an idea, but what I want is I want your idea and I want you to anchor it to your values. Right. Right. It's okay if you have if you and I have a different perspective on something, but if you if but if I don't feel like your perspective is anchored to your values, it doesn't mean anything to me. But we're in the world of bad faith, right? So it's so hard to like get any real kind of connection with people on those types of debates. No, but I can but I can tell you can kind of you can I'm always trying to suss out whether if someone's talking about a certain subject, is that is their perspective rooted in their values? In some way, shape, or form, I'm trying to suss that out because, from my own perspective, I'm always trying to think, "Hey, I feel this way about something. Why do I feel that way about something? What is it in my values where I can where where do I anchor this 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 perspective with my own personal values? And if I can't, then all of a sudden, now I have to think about this much more deeply, right? I think, mm-hmm. well, what what is it about this that bothers me? And then why? And then and then you say, well, because my values are, are A, B, C, it's like, oh, okay, I see where that fits in. But if I can't, if I can't, if I can't link of that, if I can't link my own personal perspective to something I believe deeply, then, then I either have to throw that perspective away because I'm just, why am I, why am I mad about it? And then, or, or, or maybe I should reexamine my values, which is much more difficult. It's easier to have, well... I'd like to think it was easier to have strong values and then try to find points of view that hook up to those values than the other way around, right? Well, and that goes back to my Elizabeth Warren support and the fact that I was I had an interaction not long ago, maybe three weeks ago, where in passing something about the election came up and one of the people that I was with clearly was not totally up to speed on what was going on, but kind of like asked generally like, oh yeah, who, you know, who do you like or, or what candidate do you like? And I mentioned Liz Warren and their response was, oh, who's that? And I was just, oh my god <laughs> like i don't even know what to do with that you know okay. you, if you watch the debates there's a bunch of dudes <laughs> one of the <laughs> women and there, there's two women there's only two of them okay there's the dark-haired woman that's amy klobuchar yeah she's the other one yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyways it was tough to take uh but the one thing i like about this uh this blog that i found and, and i want to recommend it to our listeners if they want to take the time to analyze the way they think about things and maybe come up with new winning strategies because it's not just a think piece. It's not just these sort of obvious conclusions that if you thought about it for long enough, anybody could arrive at, but rather um, some discussions on reading the right way, not reading for information, but reading for understanding, um, like reading for, like you can tell whether or not things are sourced by the way you read it. Uh, read obviously less articles and more books. Read from like publications that take the time to respect and value your time by putting out like something that's worth your reading. Um, and read books that have stood the test of time in the sense that if they're still in print for 20 years, that they have something valuable to say, not just disposable media. Um, and I find that I had been reading a lot of in the moment political books lately, and I don't think that's helping my state of mind. So uh, this blog is called uh, Farnham Street, F-A-R-N-A-M Street. And I haven't dug into it too deep, but I did start reading the how to like read with a purpose article, and I found it quite interesting and useful. Cool. And the last thing this this author says, though, is we're afraid of silence, afraid to be alone with our thoughts. That's why we pull out our phones when we're waiting in line at the coffee shop at the grocery store. We're afraid to ask ourselves deep, meaningful questions. We're afraid to be bored. And we're so afraid that to avoid it, we'll literally drive ourselves crazy, consuming pointless information. And I just want to say that I disagree with that. (laughs) I might have an addiction to my phone in in an unhealthy way. 
but it's not because I'm afraid to be alone with my thoughts. I know when I think about things. I don't need to spend any more time doing that. I just want to see something funny so that I don't want to. <laughs> no, see, with... you're afraid because you're afraid to be alone with your thoughts. I'm not afraid to be alone with my thoughts. <laughs> I think he might have. I think he, I think he's probably right. All right. Anyway, I will, I will tell you that once in college I did, I went to a Buddhist retreat for mm. one, a weekend where you weren't allowed to speak from essentially the time you arrived on the Friday till the time you left on the Sunday and basically doing 40, I guess it's more like 40 hours. Not quite. I would have a hard time a, with a that. A day. Yeah. But I wouldn't even want to talk. Can I talk to myself? <laughs> nope. You cannot make any noise. You can't make any sound. You, what happens? Like consciously. sticks? No, you just, I mean, the, that's the, it's not, it wasn't that kind of a place, but it was just one of those things where that was the challenge, the challenge to, you know, and, and you were discouraged. You were very much discouraged from speaking Interesting. and, and, um, and it was, inter- and it's interesting. And I'm, and once when I was unemployed and I drove, I was driving around the country. Remember I told you about this story where I played my guitar yes, at rest stops. For my, I would go whole days with like the radio off and not talking, just driving and not saying a word, just sort of being out in the in the world. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's an interesting exercise. Um, I don't know. I liked just being alone before I had my phone to keep me company. So <laughs> I don't mind. It distracts right. you from those thoughts that are plaguing you. No. That's it for our existential crises, and you know what that means. Now comes the part where we throw our heads back and laugh. Ready? Ready! Dad jokes of the week. Woo! Let's get into it. Why Let's couldn't the it. pony sing himself a lullaby? He's a little horse? That's right. <laughs> doctor, doctor, I think I've broken my arm in several places. Well, then don't go to those places. <laughs> Ouch. So, by the way, breaking your arm in several places. <laughs> Calmly explaining that to your doctor. Doctor, I think I've broken my arm in several places. <laughs> More like oh, <laughs> it was. It was doctor, doctor, <laughs> screaming for your mother, and some morphine. So I was in a zinc mine with my friend. I kept on telling him jokes, and he said none of these are funny. I guess my jokes hit rock bottom. Wow. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about the piano that got run over? It was, it was a, little a little flat. flat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My roommate dug a hole in our garden and filled it with water. I think he meant well. <laughs> Where do pencils go for vacation? Ticonderoga. <laughs> they should. Pennsylvania. <laughs> of course. And what kind of music should you listen to while fishing? Something uh, catchy. Oh, I was going to say Florida Georgia Line. <laughs> Florida no one should ever no one should ever listen to that music. Florida 30-pound test line. <laughs> exactly. There's one song that I don't hate. Which one is it? I don't know. I don't know. Is it the one about the uh, uh, the girl in her pickup truck shaking her moneymaker and drinking beer? Is it that one? <laughs> are, aren't they all about that? No. Yeah, no, it's one of those. I truly don't know. <laughs> I don't right. want to know. What do you got? Man walks into a bar. See, hey, man walks into a bar joke. Mm. Man walks into a bar with a large piece of asphalt. He says, I'll have a beer and give me one for the road. Okay. <laughs> no? I mean, I, I, it's, it has the structure of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. You get these for free. That's true. I'm I, I guess I don't hate that cruise song. It's not the worst bro country pop song of all time mm. i don't know but it okay. sounds like we're in the overtime overtime did you want to talk more about florida georgia line no not really <laughs> did you have anything that you wanted to t- get off your chest before i went into my list of my sundry <laughs> list of bullshit <laughs> <laughs> no i like i like this sundry list of bullshit okay um well one i want to know if you saw the new batmobile today I did. I posted. I posted a. I posted a. Uh, I retweeted um, Matthew Vaughn's um, picture of the of the Bat Camaro, or it's it's basically like the General Lee, and, except yeah, it's a right? Batmobile. Yeah, it looks like a Hot Wheels. <laughs> it's. I think it's kind of kick ass. I think it's. Um, you know, uh, remember the remember the Adam West Batmobile? 
Sure. It's kind. Of, I think it's kind of a take on that. Uh, it's it's like American muscle car. Yeah, it looks like American a muscle car Batmobile. mid-engine V8 twin turbo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like it. It's it's different. So I feel like having an exposed engine would be not ideal for crime fighting. <laughs> I don't. It seems really easy yeah, to but, sa- sabotage. But that's the that's the best part of the Batmobile. You always have to have that big jet out the back. That's that's a okay. that's a key that's a key feature for any Batmobile. You have to have the big tail jet so you can you know you can show the afterburner going off. Well, my Batmobile in my head is my my head cannon Batmobile is like the souped up Maserati from the like the Nightfall era because that's what it is. It's just a sports car in the in the comic book. Uh huh. With yeah. like missiles and shit. Yeah. More of a James Bond thing than it is. Although I really did enjoy the Tumblr take from the Christopher Nolan Dude, movies. I, that's my favorite. My favorite Batman. It's really fun. The Tumblr. Yeah, the Tumblr's awesome. It makes a lot of one. sense. It was a nice, um, sort of ridiculous leap of faith there. That, that leap of logic, but it made sense, and I enjoy, I enjoyed it. Right. Uh, I wanted to shift gears a moment and talk about more evidence that '80s music could just be re-released. Um, that Harry Styles did a live cover of Peter Gabriel on the Howard Stern show. It's so Sledgehammer. good. It's really it's so good. good. It's <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's going to end up being a, like a hit single again. It really, it's like, it's a, it's, if it's a perfect karaoke version, it's if go back to our karaoke episode, yes. like this is, if Harry Styles walked in and karaoke sledgehammer, you'd be like, your, your jaw would drop. It'd be like, he sounds, he smoked just enough cigarettes at this point <laughs> to sound just like Peter Gabriel. It's really good. I, I highly recommend it. You know, there was a tweet um, not long ago about, like, if you could have anybody's voice, who would you have? And, and my immediate thought was Chris Cornell, but I think my answer might actually be Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel has a, a really great voice. It's it's distinctive, right? The uh, And plus, as, as these, uh, I think we're getting, we're gearing up for another round of uh, One Direction singles releases, mm. building up to the inevitable when they get to be 30 years old, they'll all get back together again. They're just taking their 20s off to do their own thing, and then when they're 30, they'll figure out they'll just get back together and make a bunch of money for the next 20 years after that. Right. They'll be able to do the group songs plus their own individual music right. together. Right. Yeah. But but as they release music, and that's pretty good that I enjoy, it makes me feel much less embarrassed about you know knowing all the One Direction songs. We did talk before about it is pretty impressive that they've all essentially had successful solo careers. Yeah, yeah, they're all doing just fine, and um, none of them seem to be making the news for the wrong reasons. And you know, like I said, when they when they when they all turn thirty, they're going to get back together and they're going to make a mint. It's a good plan. It's good for them. All right, I had a, a couple small food related things to touch on. Um, <laughs> one, would you agree that it's nearly impossible to get the right amount of ketchup for the food you're having? It's always too much, or, too, or sorry, it's always too little or too much. The like so this is the this is the funny thing about ketchup i don't know if i like ketchup on my food no as opposed to i like to take my food and dip it in the ketchup yes so when there's when there's i guess they keep it light like if you go to if you get a quarter pounder with cheese there's some ketchup on there but they keep it pretty light which seems to work for me yes but any more, like if they doubled the amount of ketchup on that on that burger, it would be awful. I would no. I'm talking more about. I have a plate of fries and I need to get some ketchup to go with them. No, and no matter you, what, I'm going to have to either re up on that ketchup or I'm going to give myself way too much and have I, an entire serving at the end. I take too much. Well, of course, because you don't want to have to get it again. We live so, in a world, especially if they give you the pump. Yes, man, I just abuse the pump. So this is my idea. <laughs> That all ketchup dispensers and condiment dispensers in general should have like a, a ratcheting lid where you like you select the size of the thing you're going to eat with it. Like even the home one, like even the squeeze ke- Heinz at your house, like you turn it and then when you squeeze it, the right amount of ketchup comes out for like this size fries, this well, many ounces the right of fries. Amount? There's some people who must love to drown their, I mean, it's well, a, then they can squeeze it twice. <laughs> I'm fucking tired. Why can't you just, why can't you just don't I don't like out. wasting it. I don't like, I don't like <laughs> wasting it. It's not good. But how much are you paying for ketchup? That, that's not the point. <laughs> it's completely the point. It's not like it's an endangered species. It's not like they have to kill like the last of the tomato plants to give you this ketchup. 
It's fine. The, Yet. The, people at, the people at Heinz and Hunt's and and store brand will will give you whatever you want. They, <laughs> by the way, it's Heinz or GTFO. You can oh, keep I, your you can keep your Hunt's ketchup to yourself. You Hunt's ketchup eaters. It's sugary. The Hunt's. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, if you want to get some weird ketchup, I'm up for that. You know, the there's spicy some local, ketchup. There's like some local Portland ketchup that they serve at at uh, one of those Portland burger joints that I like. Well, yeah, the McMinimins has like their own, or it's there's it the, they have the kind with the bear on it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. It's but good. The, uh, but give me just give me the goddamn Heinz. Just give me the Heinz. It's fine. It's 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 always good. Well, most restaurants aren't putting Heinz back in those bottles, you know. I know. I, I buy a couple and, cases of Heinz bottles and then just refilling right. them with, with store brand sh- ketchup with shit, and I can tell. And yeah, I know. It's, it's I know. No good. <laughs> I know exactly when they're doing it. They're putting cats up in there. Yeah, bastards. All right. Well, thanks for indulging me tonight. And, you know, I always like when we have a good show where you get to, like, talk me off the ledge a little bit because it's been <laughs> quite the week. Indeed, it has been. It's uh, and, you know, whatever. It's like, uh, you know, the world's a world's a funny place. Funny. Sure. <laughs> funny. We're laughing. It's a good time. We are. We're laughing. <laughs> We're laughing. Laugh- We're having a great time. You're, laugh- you're laughing. You know, beats crying about it. What else can you do? Right. Well, that's our show. Our thanks to all of you for listening to the Two on Three pod, where we hope to help you live a more deeply examined life. If you don't already, please subscribe and or review wherever you get your podcasts, and don't be shy about sharing your thoughts and suggestions for the show. We'll be back next week with hopefully more pop culture and life strategies and a little less existentialism. But until then, peace! Peace!